Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With Robo Hair. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which I play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, I will be discussing the movie Monster Game. Now, do you know how this game is related to the game Crush, Crumble, and Chop? You will find out later on in this episode. But before we get started with this episode's game, let's check the Daily Sun for this week's Paperboy headlines. Welcome back to another episode of uh, Sprite Castle, as I'm sitting here fiddling with the video portion. Uh, I don't know why. Why do things change? Why do computers change things? I don't know. Remember the Commodore 64? The games were the same every time he loaded them. <laughs> we didn't have all this fancy schmancy stuff that changed uh, all the time. Uh, before we get started talking about this week's news, uh, I will just go ahead and plug the YouTube channels and the other places you can find my podcast. Of course, you can find You Don't Know Flack, the video version, over at YouTube.com. No, this is Sprite Castle. What am I doing here? Uh, Sprite Castle, you want to go to youtube.com forward slash Amigos Retro Gaming and look for the Sprite Castle playlists and uh, you will find it there. There's one for the podcast called Sprite Castle and there's one called Sprite Castle Plays, which is where my weekly streams go to. If you want to watch those streams live, they happen Wednesdays at 7 o'clock central. All you got to do is go sign up to be notified at twitch.tv forward slash Rob O'Hara. You'll get a little notification when I go live. You can come over and join, hang out. You can chat. You can watch. You can do whatever you want to do. It's free country. Twitch. That's how it works. If you want to listen to the audio version of the podcast, you can find all my podcasts and information. All these links and everything else is located over at podcast.robohara.com. Good times. And lots of places to uh, find things. Feedback. Well, we just did an episode earlier this week, just a few days ago, and uh, my release times got scrunched together. So um, I don't have a lot of news, but I do have a lot of feedback from the last episode, which was Popeye, which we played on the Commodore 64. Uh, I got a comment from Pajaco6502, uh, who said... Uh, that he was in the process of listening to the episode, but he wanted to say that he did not know Bluto and Brutus were different characters. Well, like I said, they, they are different characters, then they weren't different characters, then they were different characters, then they were twins, <laughs> they were brothers. <laughs> Who knows? But uh, yeah, I guess they are. Uh, I mean, technically they were different characters. They were different enough so that the company that put out Brutus would not get sued. So technically they are different characters. Uh, let's see what else we got a message from David MT, longtime listener and supporter of the show who says when he was young, the local TV station had an afternoon kids show and they played cartoons mixed in with other stuff. The cartoons would switch out every once in a while, but the ones he remembers the most were Popeye and the really old Looney Tunes short, the ones where Bugs Bunny and most of the other characters look different. Uh, he says he guesses those were pretty cheap to get for local TV. Well, that's probably the case. Either those were public domain. Uh, I remember when I worked at Best Buy, 
in 94 and 95, that was when uh, CD-ROMs exploded on computers. Uh, not literally, figuratively. And we had a bargain bin of CD-ROMs where anything that would go on a CD-ROM, uh, you could buy on a CD-ROM. I remember very popular... Uh, were those CDs full of fonts, like a thousand and one fonts, and it would just be an entire CD full of fonts. And I bought a couple of CDs of public domain cartoons, and they had some of those same cartoons you're talking about, the ones where Bug Bunny, Bugs Bunny looks all weird, and the old Superman cartoons, and Betty Boop, and anything that they could get a hold of that was public domain, uh, they would burn on CD and people like me would buy for five or $10. Uh, David MT says he will always remember the blue AAP logos that started the cartoons. Um, that's just one of those things that is stuck in his head. Yes. And he posted a picture, sent me a picture of that. And it's very iconic, you know, and the music, when you hear the music at the beginning of those episodes uh, takes me back, like I said, to sitting inside my house, waiting for the school bus to arrive. I used to watch Popeye, in the mornings in the late 70s and early 80s. Uh, David says he wishes Popeye would make a comeback, and he remembers that there was supposed to be a computer-animated movie a while back that he thinks got axed. Um, yes, so there was going to be a CGI Popeye movie, and if you head out to uh, Google or YouTube, I think the footage is still out there. The footage looked absolutely incredible. It was very cartoony, but yet CGI. It was some of the best CGI I had seen. And the director that was working, I, uh, his name escapes me. It's the same guy that did Hotel Transylvania. And it had a very similar animated style to this uh, Popeye footage. They released some proof of concept footage of this Popeye movie. And it was being done with Sony. This was around the time that Sony got hacked <laughs> and all the stuff got leaked and uh, Sony canceled a bunch of things. And unfortunately, Popeye got scrapped during that time. Now, there is a rumor as of 2020 that a Popeye CGI movie is back on with the original director. It's not with Sony. It's with a different animation company, which makes me a little scared. Um, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. I, you know, there are so many of those uh, that we saw the Tom and Jerry movie. There was, uh, a, not a full movie, but a, uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle, uh, CGI short that was released. that was played in theaters. I mean, there's so many, there was a Woody Woodpecker, uh, the Yogi bear, like all these things have been released. So why wouldn't they jump on the Popeye bandwagon? Popeye is such a, a popular brand. So I don't know why they wouldn't, uh, why they wouldn't do that. Uh, David wraps up by saying, number one, he had no clue that Bluto and Brutus were meant to be different people or even twins. Uh, that seemed to be a common thread on the feedback that I got. And number two, he says he also has to admit that he had no idea what Florentine meant. Well, I tell you what, I learned the hard way. I learned by paying $20 for a plate of Florentine ravioli. I'll never forget what Florentine means. I have nightmares about what Florentine means. So there you go. Uh, I also got feedback from uh, TV Stevie. I believe that is Steve Sharipa, a, a longtime uh, patron, longtime supporter of the show, longtime listener. Uh, Steve says, at my swim club as a kid, they had Popeye the arcade game, and someone told us that the coin slot would sometimes take nickels. And sure enough, every few times you put a nickel in, you would get a credit. And if you didn't, the nickel would just come back out the coin return. Uh, he says, I bet they caught on when people started asking for a change for a dollar in nickels. 
Well, that is very funny. I, I remember always trying to defeat the system, trying to figure out, you know, if it would take, if something would take a quarter, if you flicked a nickel in there or a penny or something, you know. And now that I've owned several coin-op machines, I know that those mechanisms can be adjusted. The width can be adjusted and the height so that if a coin is too tall or, or too short, it's supposed to get rejected. But I'll bet if you put a quarter in there and you did it just right, you could probably get that to trigger. Uh, Steve also says another memory is on stage three when olive oil is yelling help. It either looks like hype, H-E-I-P, uh, and that they used to either say hype or heap when they played that board, which is funny. It does. Uh, it doesn't look like the word help. It does kind of look like like heap, <laughs> heap. So uh, that's a funny memory. So, uh, of course, uh, I'd love to get feedback on uh, your memories of the games that I talk about. So if you remember anything about the Commodore 64 versions or if it's an arcade conversion, anything like that, always feel free to drop me a line at Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com. And uh, I love getting the feedback and, and I love sharing it with you guys. Uh, on this episode of Sprite Castle, we are not going to announce king of the castle and there, there's two reasons for that number one is that i just released the popeye episode uh less than a week ago so not everybody has had time to listen to it and submit their submissions and there's a second reason which is nobody has guessed the song yet now i knew it was going to be hard i knew it was going to be a hard one to get uh it's a, a niche song that not everybody knows and it is a rap song which makes it more difficult to identify with. So uh, it does have something to do with Popeye, and I'll give you a hint. It has something to do with the third stage of Popeye. So uh, if you figure that out, send that to me an email at robohair at robohair.com. Put King of the Castle in the subject line of your email, and we will whisk you away into the VIP room where all kinds of things are waiting. Uh, I've got snacks put up. We've had uh, the bar is fully stocked, and the only thing that's not back there is ravioli florentine. <laughs> you don't have to worry about that. So uh, if you do uh, listen to that Popeye episode, the last episode, and get the song, send it away. You could be the first person to be whisked back into the Sprite Castle VIP room. Uh, I've on the video, I switched over to the contact information, but I had one other thing, which is a, a question of the week. I got a question from one of my supporters, Mr. Mark Jackson and Mr. Mark Jackson asks, what is your favorite Godzilla movie, which ties into the theme of this episode? Uh, there are a lot of Godzilla movies. I'm not an expert on Godzilla movies. There are a lot of old ones. There are the new ones. There are the middle ones. There are the ones that were that partnered up with Taco Bell and Matthew Broderick. I mean, there are so many Godzilla movies to choose from. But one of my favorites that I saw as a kid, I've watched it as an adult, I've revisited, I've probably watched it half a dozen times, is Destroy All Monsters. Now, this was later in the original run of Godzilla movies. Godzilla um, was middle mid-50s, and I believe this movie came out in the late 60s. And the plot of Destroy All Monsters is great. Basically, all the monsters that you know from every one of those films, uh, I think Rodan, of course Godzilla, um, Gamora, like all the monsters have been put on a single island. 
and all of Earth lives in peace. And the year is 1999. So there are no more wars. Everybody on Earth is peaceful. And all the monsters are living in peace in this one remote island. And then these pesky aliens show up. And the aliens basically take over uh, the island. Uh, the, the monsters are being uh, restrained by uh, this... Uh, I don't even know, like a, a, um, a headquarters that is below the surface of the island, but the aliens take it over with these uh, uh, mind waves and unleash all the monsters and force all the monsters to destroy all the cities. So they go after London, they go after New York, they go after everything. And so it's an entire movie where the monsters just destroy everything uh, and the uh, people on Earth have to eventually defeat the aliens who send down, uh, I think it's Fire Gamora, but it's the three-headed dragon to fight everybody, and all the monsters have to team up. So it's a movie that doesn't make a lot of sense, but it is just filled with uh, all these guys in rubber suits in miniature towns just stomping on things and fighting one another. So it's really fun uh, for that aspect. So I will say, based on that, Destroy All Monsters is probably my favorite Godzilla movie. Although I do like... Uh, I, I didn't watch the newest Godzilla, but then I did watch Godzilla versus Kong. Uh, and that is literally the type of movie that I built my movie room for. That is why I have 7.1 <laughs> Atmos speakers set up out there. That's why I have, it's not 7.1, it's 7.2. I have two subwoofers out there. And uh, when I watched that movie and cranked it up, it sounded like Godzilla and King Kong were fighting on the roof of my movie room. So that was... Uh, uh, definitely worth watching. Uh, if you would like to uh, contact me, if you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can always email me directly at Rob O'Hara at robohara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Robcast. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave me a message on my podcast hotline, which is 405-486-YDKF. If you would like to support my shows, visit my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. All my patrons get access to behind-the-scenes blog posts, weekly videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. To find out more, again, visit my page. That's patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. This episode of Sprite Castle is proudly sponsored by Retro Rewind. For all your Commodore bits, bytes, and accessories, visit Retro Rewind at RetroRewind.ca. Uh, of course, in the uh, video, you can see that there is a 10% discount code SC10. But don't forget, we are in the midst of this battle. What we want to do is use the new code, which is TIS, T-I-S, like TIS the season, Tis SC, that's all together, five letters, T-I-S-S-C. That will get you the same 10% discount, plus the amount that you save gets added to a total, and whatever podcast saves the most between now and mid-December will win two $50 gift cards. And I will be giving, if we win, I'll be giving both of those gift cards away on a podcast. So uh, uh, to you, to listeners, uh, so that's good for you. And all the amounts that are saved between now and then will be matched by Retro Rewind and will be donated to a local food bank uh, where uh, Frank from Retro Rewind lives. So 
Um, I mean, it's a win, win, win. You get stuff that you like, you get a discount. There's a possibility we'll win some gift cards and money gets donated to those who are less fortunate than us. So there is no downside to this promotion. Thanks again to Retro Rewind for supporting the show and uh, for all your generosity over the past several months of supporting all the shows and all the donations and everything that you've done. Uh, we appreciate all of that. And those are this week's headlines, which are brought to you by my local paper boy who just ran into my trash can and spilled my Thanksgiving leftovers all over the sidewalk. Does this mean you don't love me anymore? Now that we've covered this week's news, let's discuss this week's snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. You know, when I was a kid, we went to the movies a lot. When I was young, we went to the drive-in a lot and we took our own snacks. My mom would make hot air popcorn <laughs> and we would bring uh, cans of soda and we would sit in the back of my dad's blazer and watch the movies. But when we got a little older, we started going to the movies and my dad would always get a large popcorn for everybody to share. So he had to pass this large thing of popcorn around or he would hold it and you could reach over and get a handful of popcorn, uh, but we would also get a drink and we would get one of those boxes of candy. And if you've been to a movie theater and bought a box of candy, you know the size I'm talking about. It's that movie theater size candy. Um, I used to like getting Reese's Pieces uh, when that was uh, an option. I liked Mike and Ike's. And then my favorite were hot tamales, which were a lot like Mike and Ike's, except for they were real spicy. I guess their hot cinnamon is the flavor. And so uh, last year in 2020, when I finished my home theater, one of the things I did was add a rack that holds boxed candy. And I went, I found out that Dollar Tree sells uh, movie theater candy, like the candy that, that's in the size of the boxes that comes from the movie theater and they're a buck. And so I loaded up, I bought Whoppers, I bought um, Junior Mints, I bought Peanut M&Ms, you know, I just really stocked the whole thing. But one thing that I went overboard on were hot tamales. I just love those things. And so um, as I was playing this week's game, the movie monster game, uh, I just uh, was like, what is something that I would eat if I were in the movies, if I were going to go watch a monster movie? And that's uh, basically what I did. So I went out to my movie room and, uh, you know, the problem with teenagers <laughs> is if you stock a thing full of candy, they will eat the candy. So a lot of the uh, candy that I purchased is, uh, uh, gone now, but there was a box left of hot tamales. And so I got a box of hot tamales. I brought them in here. And while I played the movie monster game, I chowed down on some hot uh, there's, there's a new flavor called fierce cinnamon. <laughs> um, but, uh, I ate some hot tamales and it just took me back to being a kid, going to the theater, getting that big old box of candy and sitting there and kicking your feet up. And, uh, actually we weren't allowed to kick our feet up, uh, keeping your feet on the floor, like a respectable human being <laughs> and, uh, watching monsters at the movies and speaking of monsters at the movies, the movie monster game. Oh, you know what? Uh, well, I'll, I'll talk about this in a minute. I have a picture popped up, but uh, I'll, I'll come back to this picture. Uh, the movie monster game 
was published for the Commodore 64 in 1986 by Epics. It is a game for one player that uses joystick controls. Now, this game was developed and published by Epics. Uh, we have talked about Epics many, many times on this podcast. Uh, they, the earliest version uh, or the earliest game that I covered by Epics was Winter Games, uh, which was episode two of Sprite Castle. We've also covered California Games, uh, uh, that's uh, episode five, Jumpman and Jumpman Jr. on episode 11, Sword of Fargo on episode 30, and Barbarian on episode 58. So we've covered lots of Epics games. Some of the Epics games we haven't got to yet uh, include Pit Stop, Gateway to Apshai, World Karate Championship, World Games, uh, Impossible Mission 1 and 2. Epics was one of those companies like Electronic Arts, like several other companies, that when you saw their name on a game, you knew it was going to be a quality game. Now, this game, the movie monster game, is often compared to Mail Order Monsters, and that is another game that I have covered on the podcast that was on episode 15. Uh, and it is considered to be a sequel to a game called Crush, Crumble, and Chomp. Now, Crush, Crumble, and Chomp was a similar game in idea, but the way that it plays is different. It's much more of a strategy-type uh, game than uh, full-on action, which is what this game is. So um, even though the games are related, uh, the gameplay of the two games uh, is very different. So in the movie monster game, you create and star in your own monster movie. After you pick one of the pre-designed monsters, you also pick a city and a scenario. At that point, you take over as the monster and you can smash, destroy, and gobble up the scenery to your heart's content. Um, some of the monsters in this game are original. Some are generic. A lot of them are... Um, ripoffs let's say of other monsters you may be familiar with for example there's one that's very similar to the stay puff marshmallow man there's one that's similar to uh, one of the transformers we'll be talking about all those uh, as they appear in the game uh, godzilla is in the game and he is the only licensed character in the game uh the tie i'm not really sure what the tie is to pop culture at that time other than the fact that this is 1986 and for me 19 the mid 1980s 85 86 was the king of the vhs rental store this was all the mom and pop stores before blockbuster came and smashed them just like godzilla smashes the buildings in this game uh, and so I think maybe uh, there was a rekindled interest in going back, people renting monster movies and, and those sorts of things. And so maybe that interest uh, is, you know, fell or flowed over into uh, the, this type of game because there were several of these type of games, like I mentioned, the Crush, Crumble and Chomp and Mail Order Monster. So maybe um, also I remember at that time, like on Saturdays, there was monster matinees 
on UHF channels where they would show old Godzilla movies and monster movies and things like that. So there did seem to be uh, an interest in those type of movies at that time. And so maybe that interest is what um, is tied to the release of this game. Um, the box of this game is uh, very interesting. Uh, on the front side of the box, which if you're watching the video, you can see right here. Uh, it has uh, the movie monster game across at the top and the and game are in a very boring font and movie monster uh, looks like those monster movies from the 50s just splattered across the top. And we have Godzilla. He is blowing fire. He appears to be holding the Eiffel Tower in his left hand. Uh, there are jets attacking him from the back and he is standing behind a major city that appears to be par at least partially on fire. And down at the bottom, it says epics. I mean, when you see this, it looks like a movie poster from the monster movie era, and it makes you want to play this game. I mean, it is action-packed picture right here. On the back of the box, we've got three pictures of the game down the middle and a lot of text. And I'm going to read the text just because it basically explains everything about the game that we need to know. It starts off in the first column. It says news bulletin Godzilla. And then there is a copyright symbol behind Godzilla. King of the monsters attacked the city of Tokyo today. Thousands of terrified inhabitants fled as he leveled the entire city blocks. Call out the national guard. The great monster movies are back and you are the star of the show. Become your favorite fearsome beast in the movie monster game. Breathe fire, trample cities into rubble, release your frustrations in a way only a skyscraping monster can. You pick the movie Monster, the famous international city, and even the plot of the game. Try a bold escape, stage a daring rescue, trample a famous landmark, or just drop in for lunch. The moment you attack, those obnoxious little humans swarm into action. They'll try everything to stop you. Tanks, jets, missiles, and more. Of course, it's nothing any self-respecting monster can't handle, so crush them with your mighty fist, torch them with your atomic breath, or vaporize them with your laser. Be a real monster. Stand 12 stories tall. Take on the world, at least the palatable parts, in the movie monster game. Play the role of six different fearsome monsters, including Godzilla, a giant tarantula, and Megatron Robot. Six famous cities to attack. London, Paris, New York, Tokyo, Moscow, and San Francisco. Five different movie plots to select from each time you play. Includes manual with monster profiles and reviews of the best monster movie classics. One player. So that is basically what is going on in the movie monster game. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it, but uh, you, that's, that's the essentials. Uh, when I can find the manual, manual, I do like to dig into it and talk about it. The manual starts with uh, a scenario where Godzilla is destroying a city and then the director yells cut and you realize uh, what you are reading about is a movie set and not the actual destruction of a city. <clears throat> and that is um, the two worlds that this game lives in. Uh, it's partially presented as a monster smashing type game. Um, but also you're constantly reminded that this is real, that this is just a movie that this is taking place on. So I think that's probably how they got around, um, you know, a lot of the complaints about violence 
during the mid 80s where you could say, hey, this is just a movie. Nobody's really getting eaten or killed and cities aren't really getting destroyed. You're just watching a movie. Um, the instructions, I found this is interesting and I, and, uh, I'll, I think I mentioned this later when we talk about the ports, but I might as well mention it now. There are instructions for loading the Commodore 64 version, the Apple II version, and the IBM PC version. Now, I've looked on Moby Games, and Moby Games does not mention an IBM PC version. I've scrambled, uh, I've searched all through YouTube, could not find an IBM PC version. Uh, I checked some, like, online software libraries, all those, um, you know, abandonware sites and uh, Exodos, which has every IBM game that I've ever heard of in my entire life, and it's not there. So I don't think this was released for the IBM PC, even though it is directly referenced in the manual multiple times in the uh, in the instructions, in the controls, in the loading. They all talk about the IBM PC version, but I can't find uh, any evidence that the IBM PC version was ever released. So I'm, I assume that it was planned and for whatever reason, it just didn't come out. Now in the manual, you don't need the manual to play this game, but you have an advantage if you read the manual. For example, uh, there is a rundown of all the monsters, and it tells you which monsters are fast, which ones are slow, what their different weapons are. Are these things you can learn on your own? Sure. But it's nice to know it beforehand, right? Uh, there are also maps of the cities, and some of the uh, different scenarios that you play have you finding landmarks or moving around the city. Well, I spent my whole childhood just playing this without the manual, but turns out in the manual, there's a map of all those cities, which makes those scenarios a lot easier to play. So that's handy. And then the last several pages of the manual include reviews of monster movies. And these reviews aren't long. Each one is uh, somewhere between a half and a third of a page, but there are reviews for beast from 20,000 fathoms, the blob, Godzilla, Godzilla 1985, Monster from Green Hell, Mothra, The Mysterians, Tarantula, and Them. Uh, and so I thought that was really fun. You know, that's not something this is something we've talked uh, about before. That's not something that directly affects the game. You don't need to know about those movies. Some of those movies have monsters that don't even appear in this game like Them. There's no giant ants in the uh, uh, the movie monster game, but it really just adds to this interest. It sets the whole thing about, you know, going to the movies and watching monster movies. And I would like to think that there was a kid somewhere who read about these movies in the back of the manual and went and rented one. I mean, that would just be uh, fantastic. I, I would love it if that happened. So when the game loads, we have a pretty impressive title screen that comes up. It uh, is not an exact duplicate, but it's a pretty close mirror of what's on the front of the game. It says the movie monster game. We have uh, Godzilla. For some reason in this game, Godzilla is brown and not green. I don't know why. Um, and he is breathing fire. And uh, uh, I mean, it's fantastic. It looks really good. And then it goes right into the opening game screen. Now, the menu of this game 
has a picture of the front of a movie theater and you're standing in front of that theater. There's a ticket booth that says box office on the front. And there are three movie posters across the top with uh, flashing marquee lights going around them. Uh, The first one says starring Godzilla. The second poster says location San Francisco. And the third poster says action escape. Now what you learn with the joystick is that you can change those things. So for the monsters, you can choose Godzilla, Mr. Meringue, which is basically the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, uh, Spectra, which is a flying wasp, which is comparable to Mothra, the Glog, which is a parody of the Blob, uh, Tarantus, which is a giant tarantula, and Mechatron, which... um, Gosh, I can't remember who it is now, but it's a parody of one of the Transformers. It's not Optimus Prime. Top Spin, maybe? Is that a Transformer? Top something. But um, on locations, you can change. uh, You've got Tokyo, New York, London, San Francisco, Paris, and Moscow. And then under actions, you can choose destroy, landmark, escape, lunch, search, and berserk. Each one of those are a different scenario that I'll be talking about. So if you do the math, that's 180 possible combinations uh, with this game. If you pick a monster, you pick a location, and you pick an action, uh, there are 180 different scenarios in this game. Once you pick the one you want, you are transported inside the movie theater. You're sitting inside the movie theater. There's a curtain that lifts up. You get to watch commercials for popcorn and gummy glugs. There are uh, multiple commercials for Epic's games. And then you finally are uh, rewarded with the feature presentation and you get a multiple page text uh, description of the movie that you are about to watch. And this text mirrors what you chose. So if you chose uh, that you want to destroy a landmark in Paris with Godzilla, that's what it will say. It will say Godzilla has arrived in Paris and he's hunting for the Eiffel Tower. There's actually different, um, uh, oh gosh, what's the word? Landmarks uh, that that it can choose from. So it'll be one of five landmarks in those cities. Uh, so that's really fun because you feel like you are controlling things. You have picked this combination and now you are not just getting generic text, you're getting text based off your choices. So that's really neat. Uh, Then the game loads and loads and loads, which is something we'll talk about uh, until it starts and you are presented with an isometric view of the town. There are streets, you've got buildings, you will see traffic and people. Uh, The innocent bystanders, people and cars are, well, the cars are different colors. There's white cars, there's ambulances and red cars, Uh, but anything that's military is green. So you'll see green tanks, you'll see little green people. Those are soldiers. And uh, those are the things that uh, can hurt you. So, uh, but everything is fair game. You can knock down any building you see. You can eat or trample any person that you see. You can breathe fire if you're Godzilla and burn up any of these things. Uh, Everything is fair game in the movie monster game. Now at the bottom of the screen, you'll see some information uh, that varies depending on the scenario you have chosen. Uh, You'll see endurance. That's basically your life meter, your health meter. 
Um, if you're playing one of the levels where you're looking for a landmark, you'll see a proximity. Um, you'll see what action that you are currently using. All the monsters have at least two weapons, and some of them have three. So, like, Godzilla can breathe fire, he can scream, uh, and he can atomize, uh, which is basically blow up anything that's flying over the top of him like a helicopter. Uh, you'll also get time and score and, uh, and, and those things like that. Now, again, on those actions, there are five different actions that we could have chosen. Uh, destroy landmark. You've got to go through the map, find the landmark that it has told you to destroy, and then you have to destroy it and then escape the level. Um, escape is you just have to escape the level before being killed. But of course, you want to try to get as much points as possible before you escape. Uh, and you get points by destroying the town and eating people. Uh, lunch is the same thing. You have to eat enough people and, and uh, cars and things like that to fill your health before you escape. Uh, in the search scenario, your offspring has been kidnapped. And so you will have to locate where your child has been hidden uh, some of the creatures can scream like Godzilla, and occasionally your child will scream back, and that will help you uh, locate which direction that your offspring is. Um, but that's the goal, is find your child and then escape. And then finally, Berserk is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, all rules are off. It's just destroy the town and destroy as much as possible, uh, and then get out before, uh, before dying. The controls in this game are very simple. Uh, up, down, left, and right moves you across uh, around the isometric map, forward and backwards and left and right. Uh, the uh, fire button on the joystick attacks. And if you have uh, multiple attacks, the space bar will swap between your attacks. Or you can hold down the fire button and uh, push the joystick up and down, and that will scroll through your attacks as well. So either one of those uh, will allow you to, to uh, swap attacks. Um. So once you get into the game, the um, there's some different strategies you could use. And I want to refer back to what I said about the manual. The manual is really the key about understanding the differences between the monsters. Um, for example, Godzilla is, I believe, the slowest of the monsters, but he's also the strongest. He does the most damage. Um, the the uh, wasp, Spectra, the wasp is very fast. But if Spectra lands in water, which there are water on a lot of the maps, uh, the wasp will drown. Whereas Godzilla can walk through the water. The uh, robot, when he walks through water, he will rust and take damage. So you just have to, I think um, Mr. Meringue floats when he goes through the water. So those are things that you can find out by experimenting. But if you read the manual, uh, then you'll know who has the most uh, strength, who some of the monsters can uh, regenerate and heal on their own. Some of the monsters can't. Uh, so by looking at the manual, you'll learn all that information. Um, the uh, Megatron's an interesting one. He does not. He is the giant transformer. He does not uh, heal himself, but he shoots lasers. Uh, and so uh, he's kind of fun <laughs> to play with. Uh, again, as I mentioned, all the cities that are represented in the game are there are maps of those cities in the manual. So if it says, you know, you're supposed to destroy um, the empire state building 
And uh, I did want to mention that somewhere in here, so I'll throw this in here. But if you're supposed to destroy the Empire State Building, you can look at the map and say, oh, it's on the upper right-hand corner of the map, instead of just wandering around aimlessly for half an hour trying to find it. Uh, for a movie monster game, I am so surprised that this game does not include King Kong, especially given the fact that it includes New York City and that you have to destroy the Empire State Building. I mean, this game is is made to have King Kong in it. And so I just thought that's such a weird choice. And there must have been licensing issue and they must have. I mean, Rampage includes a giant uh, gorilla that's not King Kong. So and this contains I mean, if you're not going to get sued over Mr. Meringue <laughs> as a copy of the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man, then surely you wouldn't get sued by making a giant gorilla and calling him, you know, whatever king ralph or king george or whatever you want to do um let's look at the reviews of this game oh you know what i want to talk about is the score and i love when i find manuals because you could go in and see what the score how the scoring works on these games and there is a small paragraph about the score in the manual and it says quote Points are awarded in the movie Monster Game for destroying various military units and buildings, as well as achieving your objective action in the shortest length of time. That's it. So it doesn't say pedestrians are worth 100 points or tanks are worth 500 points or hitting a building is worth. No, it's just it tells you literally it tells you that you'll be getting some score based on what you do. So. There you go. <laughs> it's such a that's such a strange thing. I mean, I'm so used to games telling you what the scores are going to be. So that that's an odd one. Looking at the reviews, uh, the uh, Lemon sixty four aggregate view that is the uh, the score of everyone's review combined and averaged together is seven point four. Zap Magazine gave this seventy five percent. Computer and Video Game Magazine gave it eight out of ten. Your Commodore gave it 6 out of 10, and Commodore User gave it 6 out of 10. The reviews that gave it lower scores mentioned the disk loading access. There are some pretty long loading times in this game, I'm not going to lie. Um, to get to the first scenario is a lot of loading. Uh, the original version of this is is uh, two sides of a disk, so there's disk swapping um, it's, it's not, uh, as compact as you might hope. Um, the other thing that some of the reviews mentioned is that even though it has so many different scenarios, once you play them, they all seem very similar. For example, if you're playing, uh, the, just making this up off the top of my head, if you're playing the scenario that says escape, you're supposed to, let's say you're playing in Moscow. Um, you're going to destroy as many buildings as you can and then escape. But if you're playing the version that says destroy a landmark and you get the Kremlin, you're going to destroy as many buildings as you can, including the Kremlin, and then escape. And if you're playing the one that says Havoc, uh, you know, or Berserk, you're going to destroy as many buildings as you can and then escape. So even though they're all named differently and that they are slightly different, when you start playing them, they all feel very similar. Uh, all the monsters look different, but they don't act that different. Um, obviously, the blob, you know, is a big green blob that moves around the map, but 
All the other ones that walk upright, they all kind of feel the same. Uh, the ones that shoot things all kind of feel the same. So, um, you know, the looks are different, uh, but the gameplay between all the scenarios isn't, isn't that different. Uh, this game was released on the Commodore 64 and the Apple II. Now, Moby Games lists the Commodore 64 version first as 1986 and the Apple II version as 1987. Wikipedia says they were both released in 1986, so it's possible the Commodore 64 version was first, but um, I think they were probably pretty close together. Uh, in the uh, actual timeline of when they were released. And again, uh, we have that mysterious reference to the IBM PC version that doesn't seem like it actually ever came out. Uh, if you want to own a copy of this game, you you can pick it up pretty inexpensively. Uh, I found on eBay just the loosed floppy disk uh, was $5.20. The manual by itself was $6.99, and then I found a cassette version that was complete in the box for $30. So that's not terrible if you wanted to own this and maybe you want to make a collection of Godzilla games or something like that, then uh, you can pick this up uh, fairly inexpensively. Uh, and now let's talk a little bit about my memories of the movie monster game. <laughs> So I feel like I might be repeating myself a little bit on this because uh, I've, I've told this same story on a few episodes, but as you know, my parents owned a computer store. Uh, where we sold games and software and uh, a little bit of hardware. And this was in 1985 and 1986. Uh, and uh, when I met my friend Jeff, he had a Commodore 64. I didn't have one yet. I got one very shortly after that. Uh, but Jeff's parents would come into the store and they would buy him games. And so it, it's kind of a strange uh circle if you think about it because his parents would come in and buy software from my parents and then i would go over to jeff's house and copy the software that he had purchased that his parents his parents had purchased from my parents so it was kind of a weird circular thing that was going on uh and i ended up with some of jeff's discs i don't think he cared all that much about owning the originals of things he liked playing the games and uh, but you know, owning the originals just wasn't that important to him. And so I have a boxed copy of the movie monster game. And it is the copy that my buddy Jeff bought from my parents' computer store back in 1986. I have the box, I have the disc, uh, I have the manual, I have the whole thing. And, uh, it is over on my shelf of Commodore 64 software. And, uh, when I see it, I think about, uh, Jeff and I playing Commodore 64 games together in the uh, mid to late 1980s. Now, Mail Order Monsters, which is a different game. That was a game from Electronic Arts uh, in which two monsters, you basically uh, purchased weapons and upgraded monsters, and then you would fight in an arena uh, or in a, uh, it could be an outdoor location, whatever. But it was about, you know, monsters fighting. Uh 
Mail or Monsters is a two-player game. Uh, Jeff and I played a lot of that. We also played a lot of Archon, which is also a two-player game. Uh, so when we got together, we played two-player games because that was the most fun. And of course, the Commodore 64 was built to play uh, two-player games that had two Atari-style joystick ports right on the side of the machine. So, um, you know, I, I don't know that I ever saw anybody with an Apple II that had two joysticks. I don't think anybody with an IBM that I ever saw had two joysticks on their IBM. So, but Commodore, everybody had two joysticks. And so when we would get together, we always played two-player games. And this game, the movie monster game from Epics, is only a one-player game. And not only that, but the games tend to take a long time. If you figure in all the loading and uh, playing through the scenarios, I mean, one person could play a level for 15 or 20 minutes. And so... We both played this game, but we didn't normally play this game together at the same time uh, because one person played and one person watched, basically. So uh, so we did play it, but it wasn't one that we played a lot whenever we uh, got together to play games. For graphics, I'm going to give the Movie Monster game 5 out of 5 Godzukis. Uh, this game looks great. The monsters look great. The cities look great. Uh, everything looks like it's supposed to. The movie theater segment looks fun. Uh, it's it's Everything about this game uh, looks great. So 5 out of 5 Godzukis uh, for that. Uh, for music, I'm going to give it four out of five Godzukis. Uh, there's a lot of music. There's music in the demo. There's music all through the game. Sounds great. Sound effects, I also give it four out of five Godzukis. There's lots of fun sound effects, uh, depending on what's going on in the game. Uh, for overall gameplay, I'm only going to give this game 3.5 out of five Godzukis. Uh, the movie monster game is a great concept and fun for a little while, but the long loading times and stale gameplay keep it from being a classic on the system. Don't forget, we're not doing a King of the Castle pick uh, this week. So if you want to guess the King of the Castle, go back to the last episode, the Popeye episode, and listen to that and uh, take a guess at what song appears on that episode. Uh, thanks again for tuning in to Sprite Castle. If you have feedback about this or any other episode of the show, you can email me directly at Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at Facebook.com uh, forward slash Robcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave a message on the podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. All patrons of my shows get behind-the-scenes blog posts, weekly videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. To find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. An extra special thanks to all my patrons. These are the people that keep the show moving forward 
each week. Uh, I want to start off the list with an extra special thanks to John Pearson. John Pearson uh, signed up in a, not through Patreon, but through PayPal, and I did not see the original sign up. So my apologies if I left you off the list, John, uh, but I do very much appreciate your support. Uh, all my 8-bit supporters on Patreon include Alan Hennessy, Alan Hudgens, Armadon Restel, Brian Barr, Kerry Clanton, Chris Albright, Chris Folds, C-Dubs, Cowbird Boy, Dan Paradroid Heavey, Dave Velociraptor, David Hearn, David Modelat, Eric Stryanisi, Garrett Allier, Gary Heather, Graham Vebke, Hacker Radio 105.8 in Helsinki, Finland. Hello, everybody on Hacker Radio. Jake Nonamaker, Jason Warns, John Bodakar Schaller, John Treholt, Jose Cazada, Joshua Eckroth, Mark Alley, Mike McLaughlin, Mitsuyama, Mr. Bundy, Mr. Wacky, Nathan Dagenhart, Olaf Hope, Patrick Markey, Rad Max, Rydar and Christopher Bowe, Retro Trace, Rick Reynolds, Robot Doctor 82, Roy Jacobs, Scooter Prime, Scott Lambert, Scott Meredith, Scrap Arcade, Stephen Burt, Steve Rasmussen, The Slow Norris, Travis Gossie, Zeke Pabsky, Zerfall, and the mysterious Cobra Kai. Extra special thanks to my 16-bit supporters. That's Bill Spear, Boar's Head Tavern BBS, Dan Creek, Dave Zilly, Edward Smith, John Morrison, Pat Nicholson, Matt Smith, John Van Drasick, Steve Sharippa, and Vintage Volts. Thank you guys so much for your support. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. Sprite Castle is supported by Retro Rewind. Uh, visit RetroRewind.ca for all your Commodore 64, Commodore 128, Commodore 16, and Commodore Plus 4 needs. Oh yeah, and they support the Amiga as well. Don't forget when you're checking out, use their holiday code, which is T-I-S-S-C. That's TIS for TIS the season and SC for Sprite Castle. That'll get you 10% off. That'll get us in the running for two $50 gift cards, which I will be giving away on the show. And uh, the uh, Frank and the guys over at Retro Rewind will be matching those discounts and donating them to a, uh, a local food bank. So win-win for participating in that. Uh, Sprite Castle is available from iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, the RSS feed at podcast.roboherr.com, and through the official Amigos podcast feed at anchor.fm forward slash Amigos podcast. To hear more podcasts from me like You Don't Know Flat, Cactus Flax, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness, visit podcast.roboherr.com for links to these shows. Many of the news articles and game details for games on Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore News, Indie Retro News, Vintage is the New Old, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. Thanks again for listening. Now get back to crushing, crumbling, and chomping things, and we'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle.